Hi, I'm Sarah from the blog Short Stories. Today, I'm going to talk about one of my stories. It's called Memoir of a Girl on the Run. Final part. So, um, a short note before we begin. Um, I wrote the first part of this story a few years ago. So, there might be some issues with the storyline. Yep, so just a note for you. Prologue. A group of scientists are carrying vials of blood and a strange green substance in test tube holders that are sitting on silver wheeled trolleys. The trolley's wheels softly squeak on the linoleum floor as the scientists walk along a brightly lit corridor. Covered with harsh white fluorescent light. One of the scientists, who is wearing a white lab coat, pushes open a white wooden door at the end of the hallway. They enter and place the trolley in a corner of the room. The room is filled with test tubes and microscopes or metal tables. Syringe needles placed in metal trays A box covered with a translucent plastic sheet And drug bottles filled with unknown liquid An older scientist with grey hair, green eyes and dark circles around his eyes Uses a syringe to take a sample of blood from a test tube he places a drop of the green substance on a microscope slide and analyzes it. He frowns and puts a drop of blood from one of the test tubes onto the microscope. As the blood and green substance mixes together, he leans down to look at the substance through the microscope. A smile slowly forms on his face. In the corner, another scientist who looks younger wears black colored glasses and a silver braided ring on his index finger, lifts the translucent sheet with its view blocked by his own body. He slowly looks down into the box and scribbles some notes onto a sheet of paper attached to a clipboard. The scientist with black hair turns to the scientist wearing glasses and says, I think we are ready for the next phase. Would you like to see the experiment? The scientist wearing glasses shakes his head and says, I would rather not know. The scientist with dark hair picks up a vial of the green substance and motions the rest of the scientists to follow him.
All of them, except the scientists with glasses, exit the room and head to the other end of the hallway. As they descend the stairs, two more levels. The scientists go through a stairway door and walk till the end of the hallway before opening a metal door. As the door opens with a whoosh sound, the scientists enter a brightly lit room filled with sterile equipment, metal shelves littered with scalpel plates and syringes line the whole wall on the left and in the middle of the room sat a hospital bed along with a human body attached to an IV drip and a heart monitor. A woman lies on a hospital bed with her hands handcuffed to the sides. A scientist with black hair walks to a metal shelf and takes a syringe. He opens the valve carrying the green substance and fills the syringe with the green substance. He looks down at the woman as a fitting look of guilt passes over his face before he swears to himself and injects the woman with the green substance. After a few minutes, she slowly opens her eyes and they look motionless and lifeless. He tells her to sit up and she sits up. Next, he tells her to lie down and she immediately lies back down with an emotionless expression on her face. He nods in satisfaction and gently closes her eyes before motioning for the scientist to carry her body into a transparent human pod lying in an upright position at the back of the room. They lift her onto a stretcher and gently place her body into the pod before slowly closing the door. A few days later, a white truck is seen driving through the New York streets in the morning before heading to a plain high-rise building made of dark red marble and simple white casement windows. A group of men wearing grey suits unload the van's contents in an underground car park. A man sees something open at the back of the van and goes to close it before swearing and pulling out a transparent pot and pushing it into a loading lift. As the door closes, we see the woman in the pot slowly twitch before she opens her eyes. She slowly turns to look at the man. Part 1 Current Day Sunlight streamed through a tiny window as soft yellow light hit the golden hay. I slowly opened my eyes and rubbed it. I saw Ben lying next to me on my right along with Nancy lying next to me on my left. I recall the night before when everyone sat on haystacks while eating canned food and chatting amongst themselves. I found out that the 70-year-old man was named 
Charlie Davies. He had white hair, pale skin, and brown eyes, and wore blue overalls and a red checkered shirt. Two of the children were his grandchildren. One of them was a 11 year old boy called Oliver, who had brown hair and blue eyes. He wore brown jeans, a double layered shirt that consisted of a green color superhero shirt over a black striped sweater. Oliver stuck out his tongue at me as I introduced myself to him. At this, Charlie gave him a stern look and that made him look down while apologizing to me. Ellie was his other grandchild. She was a 14-year-old girl who had brown hair tied into double braids. She wore a pair of black-colored square-shaped glasses and had a backpack filled with science books. A 30-year-old man introduced himself as Sean Miller. He had dark hair, brown eyes, and was dark-skinned. He wore a white sweater, a dark green parka, and black pants. The other two children were his. Sam was a 10-year-old boy who had dark hair and dark brown eyes. He wore a striped white and blue polo t-shirt along with beige khaki pants. Lily was an 8-year-old girl who had dark hair tied in a ponytail with a pink scrunchie and dark brown colour eyes. She wore a white colour peacoat jacket over a pink shirt along with black pants. She liked to hold onto her brown teddy bear, which she affectionately named Mr. Wiggles. The other two women were best friends and classmates. Helen Watts was 22 years old. She had red hair, pale skin and green eyes, and wore a white bomber jacket, along with black jeans. She told me that she liked to play musical instruments. Fiona Green was 22 years old. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, had a tan complexion, and wore a pink woolen sweater along with blue jeans. She told me that she liked to play baseball and that she loved to swim. She was very sweet to me and offered me some of her food when she saw that I ate less than the others. I also found out that Ben and Sean knew each other when they were studying at the University of Minnesota. After the group woke up, we ate some baked beans, bread, and some spam. Patrick opened the door and checked the surrounding area for zombies. Yes, I have decided to call them zombies. It makes things easier. With the coast clear, we headed out but realized just as we were leaving that we were running low on ammunition and with more people in the group, we did not have enough food supplies for everyone. 
So we decided to head down to a town on the way to load up our supplies. We had to ride in three cars as there were too many of us. Luckily, Patrick managed to hotwire three cars a bit further up the road for the others. After driving for around 44 minutes, we reached a town called Douglas. We split up. The rest would look for food and ammunition while Charlie, Mary, the kids and Tyler would stay in the cars outside of the town in case there were too many zombies in the town. I decided to go with Ben, Helen and Patrick to find a gun store to find more ammunition. We found one after walking for 20 minutes. There was a hardware store next to it. We found the town mostly empty, except for a few lone zombies who were stalking the street. We took them out with our guns. We looked in the hardware store and only found a zombie in the store. Patrick killed it with his shotgun. And we rummaged the shelves until we found what we needed. Patrick found an axe and Helen found a bat. When we entered a gun store, two big male zombies rushed towards us. I took my handgun and shot one and the second one almost got Helen before Patrick chopped his head off with his new axe. Helen apologized and said, I have never fought off a zombie before. Fiona and Sean are usually the ones protecting the group. Don't worry about it, I said. You will get your chance to learn soon. I was also scared of killing zombies when this outbreak started. Just remember to swing at their heads. We were about to walk out of the shop and we saw a few more zombies outside. After grabbing ammunition and new guns, I picked my head out of the shop door and saw them walking into some of the other rundown shops, like a clothing store and a diner. They must have been nearby wandering zombies from the outside of the city and were attracted to the sound of the gunfire. As we were about to sneak out, we saw Fiona, Sean and Marie in the distance on the street to our right. They were also coming out of a supermarket while carrying duffel bags full of food, water and hygiene products. We were about to call to them when we remembered the zombies lurking outside on the street. When we walked out on the street, the zombies nearby heard the supermarket door close with a bell. Suddenly, one of the zombies lifted its head and turned toward the sound of the bell ringing. One by one, each of the zombies turned towards Fiona and the others before forming into a loose group. As the zombies started running towards them, 
Fiona and the rest quickly dropped their bags and pulled out their guns and knives. Our group decided to help them and all three of us walked out and started shooting at the zombies. As some of the zombies started coming in our direction, all six of us took out ten of them. After a few minutes of shooting and stabbing, when all the zombies were taken out, all six of us quickly walked to our cars and started unloading everything into the trunks. Thanks for helping us out there, Sean said. No problem, there were too many of them, for all three of you anyway, Patrick replied. Mary got out of the car to hug Patrick and Ben and said, Glad you guys are alright. I heard a lot of gunfire from the town just now. All of us got into our cars and started driving away from Douglas towards our next destination, Washington, D.C. But as we were leaving the area, we heard gunfire and screaming coming from a gas station coming up on the right side of the road. Patrick, who was driving the car in front, signaled the rest to stop. He got out and looked through a pair of binoculars into the shop window. Seems like there are quite a few zombies. Seems like there are quite a lot of zombies congregating in the gas station shop. We should go investigate and help whoever is in there. What do you think? Patrick said. All of us agreed that we should help. Alright Sophie, Ben, Sean and Fiona and Marie, come with me. The rest stay in the car. It could get ugly. Lock the doors once we leave, Patrick instructed. The rest watched us as we slowly walked up to the gas station. There was only one black colour sedan parked near a gas pump. We looked inside and saw that it was empty but well maintained. As we got closer, we could see about 13 zombies congregated around the back of the store. Get ready guys, Patrick whispered. Once we were ready, we slowly opened the door. The automatic bell heard and a convenience store rang. and all the zombies quickly turned in our direction. As the zombies started racing towards us, knocking things off shelves, all of us started shooting from east, from outside the store. As the zombies started coming out, we had to fan out to prevent ourselves from being surrounded. I shot two zombies, and was almost knocked down by one from behind before Patrick chopped off his head. Ben and Marie were handling two zombies each and had each other's backs. Fiona had the most zombies coming after her. She just swung her crowbar and continued screaming in anger and fear. Both me and Patrick looked over and decided to help. I shot as many as I could to distract and killed them while Patrick swung his axe. By the time we were done, all the zombies were either beheaded 
or full of bullet holes. We walked into the gas station store and saw a red color door at the back. That must be the storeroom. I hope you got here in time, I spoke. I knocked on the door and heard a yelp. Who's there? I am armed. If you are a zombie, I am more than happy to blast your head with bullets. You are safe. We just help you get rid of your undead problem. Trust me, we are not going to hurt you, Sean said. After a few seconds, we heard the door unlock and saw a pale face peek through the side of the door. With a relief expression, the man opened the door and stepped out into the light. He had light brown hair, which looked like he used to be straight and sleek, but was now unkempt and in disarray. His green eyes looked tired and bloodshot. He wore business attire, which consisted of a white shirt and blue tie along with black pants. He stared at us cautiously. Are any of you infected or beaten by those things? He spoke. No, all of us are not infected, Sean replied. After brushing dirt off his shirt, the man told us what happened. My name is Greg Smith. I was looking for supplies and I saw a few zombies headed my way. So I shot at them. But more zombies arrived, and I was running out of bullets. So I ran into the gas station and locked myself in the storeroom. Greg explained. I caught Greg glancing at Ben a few times, and I found it a bit odd, but just brushed it off as Greg being a little paranoid. We are on the way to Washington DC to find shelter. Apparently there's a refugee camp there. Want to join us? Fiona asked Greg. Greg nodded. Sure, why not? I'm heading there too, Greg replied. All of us walked to the cars, stepping over the fallen zombies and trying not to gag from their rotten flesh and exposed bones. Greg decided to ride with Sean, Fiona, Helen and me. As we drove off, I thought and caught Greg grinning to himself as he glanced at the rear view mirror. Part 2 As we drove through the region of Wyoming, we saw wide stretches of flat plains, cattle and sheep before eventually seeing higher grassland. The cornfields and farms in Nebraska. As the kids marveled at the landscape, the dogs looked out for zombies and road obstructions. We were lucky as there was not much obstruction on the I-80 route between Wyoming and Chicago. After driving for about 17 hours and a few shift changes in driving, we eventually reached the outskirts of Chicago. Greg gave us the directions by pointing out his home location on the road map. After turning into a side road, we reached a metal fence that said, Private Property. 
Greg opened the gate and we drove down an dead road. before reaching a modest-sized white wooden farmhouse. We got out from the cars and walked on unkept green grass. To the house. This area looks familiar, Ben said to himself. We checked for zombies and found only two lurking in the elm trees that bordered the farmhouse. Oh yeah, I think one of my mates forgot to lock the door, Greg said. As Greg opened his door and welcomed us inside, I marveled at the modest but expensive household items in his house. The floor was made of maple wood and there were chandeliers in the living and dining room. All paintings of fruit and nature hung on the walls. A white screen TV hung up on the eastern side of the wall, along with a glass coffee table and a brown leather couch with green checkered blanket draped over it. Classical style statues stood at the white arch wall entrance to the dining room at the back. While curving glass stairs with metal railings on the right side of the house led up to Greg's private quarters. Make yourselves at home, Greg said. Shouldn't we check for zombies first? Marie said. Alright, oh, I almost forgot that we were in a zombie apocalypse. I'm just so relieved to be home, Greg replied. Ben and Sean did a sweep of the first floor, while Greg and I did a sweep on the second floor. As we walked up the glass stairs with Greg, I could see that he was slightly nervous. Don't worry, I don't think we will find any zombies up there, I reassured him. Thanks, Greg replied for a smile. So what were you doing when the zombie apocalypse started, I asked. Oh. Um, I was attending a business trip in Idaho, Greg replied. What about you? What were you doing? He asked me. We walked down the hallway into his study. It was modern with a brown bookshelf on the left side of the room, along with a glass table, and a black leather silver chair in the center of the room near the windows. On the right side of the room, stood an old-fashioned atlas with a stand and a display shelf showing unique artifacts like animal bones and gemstones of all colours. Wow, you must be quite rich. I was in New York working at my office when an outbreak occurred. I replied while admiring his glass display case. Oh, I heard that was where the outbreak originated from, right? Greg asked me. I nodded in response. As I started to look sad, Greg asked me. Do you know somebody in New York? I know that look. 
I found out that one of my best friends died during an outbreak when I got into contact with my family in Wyoming. I nodded sadly. I need to check something in my study. Can you look around the other rooms without me? Greg asked. Sure, I replied. I quickly did a sweep of his white tile bathroom and his bedroom. I found them empty. As I was walking back to the study, I heard Greg groan in frustration in the study. No, no, no! It has to be here! I knocked on the door. No more zombies here. Are you okay? I asked Greg. He looked frustrated with his previously neat table, now filled with messy tape, papers, and pens. He looked up in surprise and quickly tried to hide the fact that he was freaking out a few moments ago. Uh, yeah, I was just looking for some family photos. I couldn't find them in my drawer, Greg replied. Maybe I can help. Where was the last place you saw them? I asked him. Never mind. I will eventually find them somewhere in my study. Why don't you go downstairs to check on the others? He spoke. Okay, see you downstairs. I replied while trying to look cavalier. I stepped out of the office and walked down the hallway to the stairs. Just as I was reaching the landing, I heard him slowly close the door. As I walked back downstairs, I saw Ben at the bottom of the stairs. Oh hey Sophie, I was just about to come up and check on you guys. Everything okay up there? No zombies right? He spoke. Oh yeah, no zombies, I replied. Oh yeah, everything's fine down here too. Everyone has started looking for extra food in the kitchen cabinets for dinner. Where's Greg? Ben asked. I wanted to tell him about Greg's little freak out in his study. But I didn't want to judge Greg too soon. As I was starting to feel that Greg was acting a little too secretive about his life. After a while, when everyone was getting ready to eat dinner, I saw Greg come down from his study. He looked tense and worried about something. Ben and Marie noticed it too. Hey Greg, did you find what you were looking for? Marie asked him. Greg was so deep in his thoughts that he barely heard her. Greg buddy, you okay? Sean tapped on his shoulder. Suddenly Greg jumped up in response and was aware of everyone staring at him. Oh sorry guys. I was just thinking about some old stuff. Well, one good thing about the apocalypse is that you don't have to worry about old work stuff. Come on and join us for dinner, Marie tried to cheer him up. Greg chuckled and said, Yeah, I guess you're right. We ate canned peas, canned tomatoes, spam, and canned fruit for dinner. After we finished eating, the kids wanted to play some ball games. 
regret for a Monopoly board game that he barely touched in the recent years. Marie and Sean push the coffee table to the side and let the kids play the board game on the round Nordic style wood rug. As the kids started playing the board game, Sean and Patrick went out to patrol for locators and zombies. Tyler decided to join the kids and help them. Mary started talking to Helen Fiona on the couch. Ben asked me if I would like to play a card game he found in a cupboard. As Ben and I sat at the dining room table playing Uno cards, he and I started learning more about each other. Apparently, Ben was studying biology and was majoring in entomology in his third and last year. As I was deciding which card to show, he told me, I haven't told you the whole story of what happened to me during the apocalypse. I was on an internship with a biotech company in my last year at university and I was doing some research on insects. When I came back to my apartment that I shared with Lisa, I found her missing and I went to look for her at the university. I couldn't find her and called her parents who just found out that she had stopped attending classes a few days ago. As I put up the posters all over the town, I saw some other people screaming and running in my direction. That was when I found out about the zombie breakout. After managing to keep myself hidden from those monsters, I saw Lisa's parents' house and tried to see whether her parents were still alive. I found them hiding in their garage as the zombies had broken through their front door and was in their living room. They saw me through their webcam and quickly opened their garage door to let me in. We eventually managed to escape and were on our way to my parents' house when both were attacked by a group of zombies in the woods when we stopped to rest and get water in a nearby stream. I managed to escape and drove to my parents' house alone. I showed a number 3 card and put it on the table on top of the discard pile. I was still trying to process this story. Wow, I had no idea. Why did you tell me that Lisa died when you met me? I asked. He looked down guiltily and said, I did not know you very well at that time, and I did not want to tell you everything about me. So I lied a little, as I thought that I would not have to see you again if you left. Oh, I see. I said, feeling a little hurt. But I'm glad that you decided to tell me the truth. What do you think happened to her? He didn't respond for a minute. I um, think that she either became a zombie and didn't come home, or she ran away to get away from someone. But Lisa never told me she had any stalkers 
or someone who was after her. I could see that he was starting to look depressed and guilty. Anyway, I said, trying to lift the mood at the table. It's your turn, I pointed at the discard pile. He looked through his deck of cards and picked out a number four and number one green card. So what about you? How was life before the zombie apocalypse, he asked. Well, I was leaving my roommate Kelsey. I woke up on the day of the outbreak and heard about some incident where a businessman attacked a passerby. I tried not to worry about it and went to work. When I was in the office, I witnessed a zombie attack on the streets nearby. I tried to run back home with the help of a co-worker, but he got attacked by one of the zombies. When I got home, I found Kelsey dead. Her ex-boyfriend, who was a convict, tracked her down and killed her by hanging her from a ceiling fan. I drove away from New York and I was trying to get to Washington when I heard your broadcast in the mall and drove to Wyoming to meet you guys. Ben touched my hand and said, It must have been tough for you to witness the death of your friend while running from zombies at the same time. I smiled sadly and said, I guess we all lost somebody in the apocalypse. But I'm glad I found you guys. It has made it easier to survive in this post-apocalyptic world. Ben squeezed my hand to comfort me. It's your turn. Think you can beat me at this? He said playfully. After a few turns, I managed to beat Ben at Uno. I offered to stand guard, but Sean told me to get some rest and that I could take over later after Greg and Ben shift. I went to sleep on the sleeping bags in the living room alongside the others. I dreamt that I was being chased by a zombie and that Kelsey was running alongside me. Suddenly, Kelsey was attacked by a zombie that came out of nowhere and I heard her screams as I tried to pull the zombie off her. As I heard the second zombie running up to me from behind, Kelsey shouted and told me to wake up. I woke up in cold sweat and saw that everyone was sound asleep. I decided to go look for Ben and see how he and Greg was doing. So I put on my thick and black colored hoodie, took my handgun and headed outside. As I looked around the front of the building and the surrounding area, I didn't see Ben, Greg, or any zombies lurking around the area. As I walked toward the back of the house, I noticed a brown wooden shack at the back covered with leaves and ivy vines. I thought that maybe one of them was inside, so I went to investigate. I opened the door and heard its hinges squeak softly. Light from the moon illuminated the simple and small shack 
filled with carpenter tools and plastic storage boxes. I found the light bulb switch hanging next to it and pulled the string. Yellow light filled the room and I saw a workbench on the left along with saws and hammers hanging on the wall above it. Shelves filled with old books and wooden carvings of animals lined the rest of the shelves on the walls. The rest of the floor was littered with plastic storage boxes filled with clothes and outdoor equipment. I saw a few boxes were cleared at the back of the shed. As I got nearer, I found a handle and pulled it open. A metal ladder led down into a dark basement. I grabbed a torchlight from one of the open storage boxes and found that it had batteries in it as it flickered to life when I flipped its switch. I placed the flashlight in my mouth as I slowly descended the ladder. I found myself in a small room lined with concrete. I saw a long hallway ahead of me and gulped. God, I hope I don't find any zombies or rats in here, I said to myself. The hallway was tall, but its sides were a bit too squeezy for my liking. I had claustrophobia, and I struggled to not think about being suffocated in this long and dark hallway leading to God knows where. After a few minutes of walking through the dark hallway, I saw white lights ahead. I saw a small bulb of light hanging over a metal door that had the words no access on it. I tried to open it and as I turned the handle, the door opened easily. As I walked, into a bright hallway lined with white linoleum, white walls and blue doors. I heard some voices coming from one of the open doors on the left two doors up ahead. I know, that was why I wanted to talk to you alone. No one can find out. Someone's coming. I recognized Greg's voice. I rounded the corner and was planning on asking Greg what was going on and when he and what he was doing there but I had a singing feeling that I did not want to find out suddenly Ben stepped in front of me and looked guilty sorry Sophie I was hoping you wouldn't come to this he took the butt end of his rifle and conked me in the head I blacked out when I came to I was tied in a metal chair with a rope and a dark tape passed over my mouth. I slowly opened my eyes and saw Ben and Greg in front of me arguing about something. I shouted through the tape on my mouth in frustration as I felt the ropes by my hands at the back of the chair. Ben and Greg looked in my direction and I saw two different expressions. Ben looked guilty and nervous, while Greg looked cold and calculative. I see that you are awake, Sophie. 
Sorry for the rope intake, but we couldn't let you run away after seeing our lab. Greg said with no expression of guilt on his face. I took a glance around the room and saw some papers along with beakers and other science equipment you would normally find in a lab. Low white light illuminated every corner of the room with small fluorescent light bulbs fixed above the wall over every white-coloured counter. I mumbled some words through my tape. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Let me take this off you. Greg held the duct tape off my mouth. What the hell is going on, guys? What the hell do you tie me up? Greg looked at me like he was a teacher patiently waiting for his student to come up with an answer to his question on the blackboard. I think you should tell them then. Can explain it better than me, Greg said. I looked at Ben, and he couldn't look me in the eye as he said, I am so sorry I got you into this mess, Sophie. You should not have tried to find us. But you probably have a lot of questions. I should tell you about this place. It's an underground lab that is connected to another building nearby. It is part of a biotech company owned by Greg, whose real name is Alan Watts, owner of Watts Enterprise. He is a billionaire who manufactures biotech weapons and sells it to his private clients. I worked here for money in my final year and was part of a new research project that worked on carpenter ants try and help replicate their ability to be part of one hive mind and have limitless strength for humans. Alan here has never shown his face to his workers and just recently revealed to me that he is the owner of this place. I can take it from here, Ben, Ellen inter interjected. Somehow, something went wrong in our lab in New York, which ended up being compromised. As a result, our product ended up creating mindless human zombies that are strong and relentless in their need to propagate. I just stared at them, looking dumbstruck like a moose caught in the headlights of a car. What? Was I like a master? Adam looked at me and gave a look of pity. I really am sorry about this, Sophie. But now that you know about us, we must unfortunately get rid of you, along with whatever evidence lies in this lab. Ben, finish up here. I'll be waiting with the rest in the house. Seeing the look of guilt and conflict on Ben's face, Ellen put her hand on his shoulder and whispered in his ear, Unless you want me to tell everyone else about your involvement in creating the zombies. Ben's shoulder drooped and he nodded. Great! See you upstairs, Ellen said. He walked towards the door 
and gave me one last look of pity before exiting the room. Ben didn't say a word and left the room too. After a while, he came back with a big carton and started pouring white colored liquid all over the papers and on me. I tasted petroleum and started panicking. Ben, you don't have to do this. You can just let me go. I won't breathe a word of this to anyone. I swear, I pleaded with him. He just kept pouring kerosene over some of the research papers. I'm sorry, Sophie, but I don't have a choice. If Ellen tells the rest, they might end up arresting both of us and bringing us to what's left of the government. As he walked out of the room, they'll continue filling the place with kerosene. I woke my fingers and dug out a Swiss army knife out of the back pocket of my jeans. I managed to find a Swiss army knife when we were in Douglas, so I kept it hidden and safe in my back pocket. I flipped it open and quickly sawed through the rope. When it broke, I quietly walked to the door and peeked outside. Ben had his back to me and was finishing up. I sneaked back into the room, took a metal tray before sneaking behind Ben. I think he could sense someone behind him and he started turning his head. I quickly walked over and used the metal tree to hit him on the head. As he fell unconscious to the floor, I quickly walked back to the lab, dropped the tree on the table and grabbed as many research papers as I could. I checked the other two rooms. One was filled with operating equipment like huge medical machines and another was a pantry where Ben probably took the kerosene. I went back into the lab and looked for more important documents. In one of the cabinets, I found a paper that was titled Experiment Zero. It had the words important written in red on it. So I grabbed it. I was thinking of grabbing some of the valves, but I did not think, but I did not want to risk being contaminated. So I decided to leave as soon as I found nothing else that seemed important. I stuffed the papers in a metal briefcase I found in one of the cabinets. I was thinking of leaving Ben behind, leaving him in the lab. But as I but I knew that his family would be worried. So I cursed at myself for caring and grabbed Ben. I dragged him the way to the ladder and tried to think of a way to haul him up. I climbed back up and saw daylight enter the shed through the small windows. I dropped the briefcase and took a rope used for climbing gear. I tied one end of the rope to Ben's torso and climbed back up the ladder. I fixed the other end of the rope 
to the feet of the hardware table that was nailed to the floor and slowly pulled Ben up. I went outside and found one of the cars behind some trees at the back of the house. I dragged Ben into the passenger seat and chucked the suitcase into the trunk of my car. I was surprised no zombies tried to take a pass at me in my vulnerable state, but I didn't want to invite any thoughts of them jumping out at me. So I floored the gas and drove to the front of the house. All the cars were gone, and I quickly ran inside and found no one. I found a note on the fridge. Living with the rest first, told them that you and Sophie left first. I left your bag in the study room upstairs. See you in DC. Greg. Damn it! I cursed. I've got to warn the rest, I said to myself. I found my duffel bag and Ben's duffel bag in Ellen's study room. I grabbed them and ran back to the car. I threw them into the trunk and tied Ben to the car seat with a rope. I drove away from the house, through the open gate, and back onto the main road. As I started driving in the direction towards DC, I thought of all the ways I was going to beat the crap of Ellen when I saw him, and as for Ben, you would see. I've come to the end of the podcast for Memoir of a Girl on the run final part I will be posting the next part um, in the next post I hope you enjoyed this story see you next time